What's wrong with you people? If you're looking for a Christ-centered, scripture-driven, and student-focused education, then may we suggest Texas Baptist College? At TBC, they are committed to providing trustworthy Christian higher education for more faithful service to Christ. Whether you're headed to ministry, the marketplace, or anywhere in between, TBC will help you find your calling. Learn more at texasbaptistcollege.com forward slash admissions. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast. My name is Kyle Bierman. I'm a rural specialist with the North American Mission Board. Uh, Matt is out today, so uh, but but I am very excited to be joined by Dr. Jason Allen, the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in beautiful Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, so, Dr. Allen, welcome back to the show. I, this is your second time, I believe, on, on the show. The first, uh, first time was about three years ago or so. Um, I'm sure that made all the difference in, in your life. Um, but, but I know I'm, I'm very excited to have you back on the show and to be talking about a new book that we'll dive into here in just a minute. But, but just as way of refresher, remind our listeners who you are and, and, and what you do there at Midwestern. Thank you, Kyle. First of all, before I get to that, you need to clarify, do you spell your name with two E's or an E and a U? Uh, one U, two E's, two N's. Okay, I was, yep. I was concerned your name was spelled as though you were Beer Man, B-E-E-R-M-A-N, <laughs> <No. laughs> which, which, may, which may jeopardize this whole recording. No, that, that, is, that is how it's pronounced, but that is not how it's spelled. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Listen, it's so good to be with you today. I appreciate you and Matt and, uh, and what you guys are doing with the podcast. I occasionally get to listen to it and uh, appreciate the winsome way you go about uh, recording it and your winsome public personalities and uh, your ministry disposition is sweet and encouraging. So thank you. Uh, I serve here at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, also president of our undergraduate program, Spurgeon College. And uh, I just started my 11th year. So in October, about three weeks ago, we celebrated my 10th anniversary and it was such a sweet, um, sweet several days. It was kind of emotional several days as well because people are showing me like by the hour, you know, pictures of my kids 10 years ago and pictures of the institution 10 years ago. And so processing all of that was uh, was kind of emotional in some ways, but in some sweet ways. So that's what we're doing here. I'm happy to take the conversation wherever you want to go as it relates to the story of the Western Seminary. But I'm just really grateful to get to serve God's people here at Kansas, in Kansas City at Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College. Yeah. Well, so you you shared this story of your 10 years at Midwestern in, in a book that you recently re- recently released called Turnaround. Um, I, I'm sure there were a lot of emotions that went into this, uh, that went into this book. You know, Matt and I have dealt primarily in our lives and ministries with church revitalization and and seeing struggling churches uh, by the grace of God come back to life. But we know those ch- churches are are probably the thing we think of the most about when it comes to revitalization, but they're certainly not the only institutions that that need to be revitalized. And I know you you came to a, a seminary that was in desperate need of revitalization. And so um, talk to us about, you know, 10 years in, what what made you write this book? What really inspired you to share this story in, in a long form like you did? Yeah, I would say several reasons. Uh, first of all, as you've alluded to, the name of the book is Turnaround, the remarkable story of an institutional transformation and the 10 essential principles and practices 
practices that made it happen. And uh, it came out, oddly enough, almost exactly uh, in concert with my 10th anniversary here. Uh, that was not the original plan. In fact, the first uh, thought of writing a book uh, about the story here was actually from Tom Rainer, who was then the president of Lifeway. Uh, as I would look in hindsight, he was in the, you know, the final season of his ministry there. But he raised the topic with me. And, uh, and I was a little reluctant at first. In fact, at, at first, I was quite reluctant. Because such a book could always be misinterpreted, and, and no doubt this book has probably been misinterpreted by some. But but then once I got my mind around, okay, there's a story to tell, and uh, as president, uh, I'm the person to tell the story. Now, if you read the book from start to finish, I give credit uh, to God and human credit uh, to a team. And so this is not about you know how great a leader I am. It's not about what I've done for ten years. It's emphatically not those things. But as president, you really are the one that's you know most most appropriately suited to tell the story. And uh, I want to tell the story because, first of all, there's a lot of bad news out there, a lot of bad news out there for Christians. We hear of churches declining. We have Christian ministries declining. We have Christian institutions declining. And I thought, you know, this has been a really, really sweet story the past, the past decade, seven, eight years then when we were getting into the book. And, and by the way, uh, it, it providentially came out in concert with my death. As I mentioned, those sketches would come out, you know, like a year or so earlier. But with COVID and supply chain issues and all that, it just kind of got delayed. So you wake up one day and say, ah, this is, this is sweet providence. It'll come out in concert with the death. Um, but, but, uh, but I wanted to be able to tell the story because Christians need to hear good news. Um, they, they need to know that God is doing some special things right now around the world. Right now, some special things in the Southern Baptist Convention. Additionally, I wanted to tell the story because uh, I felt like we had a, a, a counter narrative to tell. And by that, I mean um, the leadership industrial complex, as I refer to it in my book, uh, is always out there. It's ever present. Its voice is loud. It's telling us you have to listen to these podcasts. You have to buy all these books. You have to adopt all these theories. You have to go to all these workshops. And uh, we live in this world where we are awash in leadership material, leadership theories, leadership uh, instructional opportunities. And, uh, and for me, I argue in the book that leadership is actually pretty simple, uh, not easy, but simple. It's straightforward. And, uh, and so I wanted to push back a little bit against just the current leadership industrial complex that finds all of this uh, is so complicated so big, so fast-paced, so ever-evolving that, that the beleaguered leader is like on this never-ending quest to find that one nugget of insight that will lead them to a breakthrough in their family, their business, their church, their ministry, their entity, whatever. And so I try to do that in the book, to push back, to tell the story of Midwestern so the readers be encouraged, and then to unpack how it happened so they'll also be encouraged to say, you know what, um, Midwestern has experienced a sweet season, so can we. That's fantastic. Now, you, you talked a little bit about this and, and how this is different than other leadership books, uh, because as we know, I mean, you walk into a Barnes and Noble or, or even a Mardell's, if you're blessed to have, to have Mardell's, uh, there's a huge section on leadership and, and new leadership books are being written all the time with, as you mentioned, kind of the, um, the silver bullet, right? This is the one, the one leadership book that's going to change everything in your life. And, you know, as, as, leaders become more seasoned. I think hopefully we figure out that that's not necessarily the case, right? There's not a, there's not a book out there that in, in one practice that's going to change everything. So, so what would you say distinguishes this book from the other leadership books that are available? I, I would say a few things. First of all, I'm getting at it at the foundational level from a spiritual and biblical standpoint. Now there's a lot of common grace insights here. So this is not you know, from start to finish, a theological work, or even necessarily a spiritual work, start to finish on every page. 
but I do come at it foundationally from that level. Second of all, I, I come at it understanding that all of leadership is stewardship. And I do mean that in a biblical spiritual sense. And so whatever the role is, your listeners, if they're a father or mother, a school teacher, a youth minister, a missionary, a church planner, et cetera, et cetera, we need to undertake whatever responsibility God has given us, whatever role he has placed us in with a peak sense of stewardship, a heightened sense of stewardship. So it's different because it's theological and spiritual at its foundational level. It's different because we get at this from an eternal sense of stewardship. And it's different, again, because I am, I'm turning on this head a lot of the conventional wisdom that says that says leadership is, is that is that complicated. Okay, and here's the little analogy I use in the book that I'm setting up. I talk about our, our historical moment, Kyle. And uh, if you think about it again, we find ourselves awash in the curriculum, awash in the materials, awash in, uh, in all the support structures for leadership. But we also find ourselves looking for leaders. And we look to Washington, we don't see many. We look to religious organizations, we don't see many. We look to corporate leaders, we don't see many. And it is this great contrast. And then you go back to the great leaders in history that folks like you and I and your listeners you know, look up to, whether it's in the spiritual realm, the, 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 in the history of the church, individuals like, like Martin Luther or Charles Spurgeon, whether it's in the, you know, the geopolitical realm, individuals like Ronald Reagan or Winston Churchill. Um, those individuals, especially when you get earlier in the 20th century and then in the 19th, 18th, 17th, et cetera, centuries back, uh, leadership material wasn't a thing. Leadership insights wasn't a thing. You, know, you weren't getting advanced degrees in leadership, right? And so there is this great irony that, that with a dearth of leadership materials and resources, we seem to have a sufficient number of leaders. Now we have an abundance of leadership resources and materials, and there seems to be a dearth of true leaders. Hmm. So, so let's talk a little bit about your own leadership journey over the last, um, especially over the last 10 years. Um, how did you discover the principles that you talk about in the book? and how did you kind of distill those down to, you know, these are really the, the big things that were, that were pivotal, that, that transformed or, or are transforming Midwestern? Yeah, I would answer that in two ways. First of all, um, some of these would fall into a category of kind of basic leadership principles or practice. I should have been Kansas City with 10 years mindful of, okay? Now, I've, I've grown in my understanding of those. I, I've grown in, in, in my sense of their importance. But I showed up in Kansas City, like knowing kind of intuitively, you know, you, you need to be convictional. You need to know who you are, what you believe. Uh, knowing that mission matters, you know, like why you exist. Knowing that organization needs to have a sense of vision where it's going. And so those really are the big three. What you believe, your convictions, why you exist, your mission, where you're going, your vision. Okay. And again, depending upon which leadership book you read, uh, those may be defined a little bit differently. But in my mind, those are kind of, kind of the big three categories of organizational leadership. What you believe, why you exist, where you're going. And, uh, and so those were things kind of I showed up very mindful of. I showed up understanding that, that leaders need to work hard to communicate with sufficient clarity and frequency. But there were other things here that maybe I was sort of mindful of, but but it wasn't on the forefront of my mind. For instance, I, I moved to Kansas City, like mindful that you needed to uh, steward your resources wisely, your money as an organization. But it was in those early months and years here when we were just frankly dead broke financially that I learned that in a in a, in a greater sense of urgency. Uh, there were things like uh, like 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 your team, like your your the personnel side of things. So, okay, you, you need to be intentional when you hire. You be careful about how you hire. Give me attention on how you lead those people. But over the years, I've grown to understand it. it's, it, it's, it's more deeper than that. You don't need to just lead your team well. You, you need to cherish your team. 
Other aspects, uh, you know, matters like culture. When people come to our campus at Midwestern Seminary, I hear time and time again how unique our culture is. People are convictional. They're cheerful. People seem to enjoy serving here. People seem to enjoy studying here. And the culture piece uh, has grown with so much importance with every year to me. And uh, the difficulty is you can't really like coordinate it. You can't uh, choreograph it. You can't fabricate it. Um, You can do some things to hopefully foster the right culture, to uh, engender a healthy culture. But ultimately, it's more than a recipe. And so some of those things, again, I've become increasingly aware of, accountability increasingly aware of. I knew when I came here that an organization needed to have clear lines of accountability, but being here year after year understands everybody needs accountability. I need accountability. And not just in the formal sense of, of do you spend money on this or that, or are you alone with a woman, yes or no, but in other less obvious ways, um, who is responsible for what and how do we measure faithfulness in that area or unfaithfulness in that area? How do we measure success in that area or lack of success in that area? So I would say some of the principles that I, I came in really, really clear about, um, some of those I came in somewhat clear about, some of those I came in not thinking that much about, but you learn over the years, I really do need to be thinking more, more about that. Then you look up after eight or nine years here and realize, boy, 10 years ago, I was not thinking that, but, but now that we're deep into this project, that has become very essential for our work here. So we know the work of ministry has always been difficult and it's, it's never been a walk in the park. Um, but the last two years or so have been especially difficult. Um, and, and I know a lot of pastors who thought, you know, man, my church is going to bounce right back after COVID. They, they haven't seen that happen. I think Tom Rayner says something around, you know, a third of the people just aren't coming back. Um, when you, you take that, so, so the, the 18 months or so that we walked through of that. And now you, you know, we're looking at inflation and the the fact that that's probably going to hit budgets. I've seen churches uh, come back with just astronomical um, insurance premium increases for next year. Uh, so, so there's a lot kind of out there that can seem daunting and can seem, can seem overwhelming, especially to a church that's already struggling to kind of get its feet back underneath it after after COVID. So for pastors and, and church leaders who are just, I mean, in, in the middle of the trenches and wondering how can I keep going another month, six months, year, how do you hope that this book will encourage and equip them? Thank you. That's a very good question. Let me say a few words to, uh, to pastors listening, especially, uh, and those not just pastors, but ministering within a local church context. Um, first of all, the past several years ha- have been complicated. They have been challenging. And and with COVID, um, it wasn't just like, uh, you know, I refer to it as, as solution fatigue. It's like you find yourself, especially in those early months, of having to work through like solutions by the day. And not just solutions that you wound up having to employ, but solutions to hypothetical but potential problems as well. Okay. And so for us here for months, we lived in, in kind of a little bit of solution fatigue. And God was kind. And enrollment stayed strong. We grew through COVID and financial support stayed strong. But, but there, there was a lot of that overhanging. And then so you had that going on. And then you also have, oh, by the way, we can't come together as we'd like. So kind of this distancing was taking place while a certain weariness was setting in. And I think that's true for many pastors as well. Um, you know, throughout the past couple of years, it has been hard. And giving for many uh, has not been what one thought. And people haven't come back as we had hoped. And so there's been a challenge there. I would say on the flip side of that, Kyle, is I do think we need to be careful that we don't we don't just all the time talk about how difficult ministry is 
And then, then we're surprised one day when, when we find out we don't want to be in ministry anymore. And uh, I, I do worry at times there's a little bit of a of a never-ending conversation about how hard ministry is. Now, look, ministry can be challenging. Uh, I'm now in my mid-40s, and I've been serving in, in ministry-type roles beginning as a college student uh, for about, about 25 years. And I've seen the ups and downs, you know, the sweeter seasons, the more challenging seasons. So I don't want to... Um, I don't want to be superficial and say, just, you know, just suck it up. Ministry is great. And uh, it may not feel great to you right now, but it actually is. I don't want to say that. But I do want to intentionally hold up the glory of local church ministry, uh, the glory of a call to preach and teach the word of God, the glory of pastoral ministry, and say, I do believe that, that when we're thinking clearly, the glory of that, the joys of that, the eternal rewards of that offsets the momentary, the momentary challenges. The last thing I would say, and uh, I think this is a thing as well, okay? I do think it has been a full couple of years. Again, I just said ministry is still sweet and good, but but it has been a difficult couple of years now, two and a half years. And I have found myself even uh, uh, last month, I was in a conversation with a couple of colleagues, uh, men who I love dearly, not, not, not staff members here, but people I love dearly. And I found myself more irritable in that conversation than like I normally would be. I'm not a person like prone to like a lot of irritation. I'm a happy person by nature. I kind of wake up sunny, not cloudy. And I found I found more irritation in myself in, in that in that meeting. And I began to kind of unpack that. Okay, like why is this the case? And I felt a little bit because uh, just an emotional season. Uh, as I just mentioned uh, with our you know kind of grown my tenth, and you're seeing all this picture of your kids having grown up. Like whoa, where's life went the past ten years? But also, I think in our Southern Baptist moment, um, th- 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 there's just an added degree of tension. Uh, I think there, folks are just kind of on edge. And it seems like, you know, whether it's the DOJ investigation on New York that was announced earlier, uh, uh, a couple months back, late summer, to just other stuff of, of bad news we seem to get. And, and you kind of find yourself wincing when your phone rings, wondering, you know, what, what, what am I about to be told here? I think that, that can wear on people. I mean, I was in another ministry setting here in recent weeks and saw a couple of other godly guys who love one another. And I know them well. They're good friends. And watching them kind of spar a little bit. I thought, well, that's, you know, I, that's not how you guys are. And, and, and I was thinking, yeah, I think perhaps, you know, we are wearing thinner in some ways than we've realized. And uh, perhaps a protracted Thanksgiving and Christmas break will be good for a lot of ministers out there. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving break is going to be f- wonderful for a bunch of people <laughs> just to step away for a little bit. Um, well, as we begin to, to wrap up here, uh, what is what is one hope that or one thing that you hope readers take away from the book? I hope readers take away a sense of encouragement. I'm going to give you kind of a part A and part B of the answer sense of encouragement by the basic narrative that God has done special work here. I mean, over the past 10 years, Kyle, we went from about 1,100 students to about 5,000. In a context when institutions and seminaries and divinity schools in North America largely are declining. I went from a financial situation where we were dead broke, couldn't meet payroll, to um, in a situation now where we have a sustainable business model and they're able to uh, care for our people well here. Um, so I hope they're encouraged by, by a story of God working in a special place uh, at this institution. I hope they also are emboldened, okay? I hope every mom walked away from this book thinking, okay, okay, I, I'm better equipped to serve my family. Hmm. I hope every pastor reading this book walks away and says, okay, okay, I'm emboldened to lead uh, with more with more intentionality than I was when I picked the book up. So I hope there's an encouragement and I hope there's an emboldening that takes place in the lives of the reader. And I would say uh, as well, you know, the book is, is not that long to read. It's about a couple hundred pages, I think, something like that. 
And so, I mean, you can read it, you know, uh, it's actually a little less than that. Uh, it's about 180 pages. You can read it, you know, in just a few hours. And so I think you can work through it quickly. You can, you can ascertain what's most germane, what's most relevant to you in your place of service, your context of leadership. And I think you'll be better, better served for it. Fantastic. Well, then the last question, and, and this is going to be a two-parter. Um, what's the most exciting thing happening at Midwestern right now? And then, of course, how can our listeners be praying for you and Midwestern in the days moving forward? It's a great question. So I will tell you what's the most exciting thing happening this very moment. Um, I'll, I will give you a couple a couple things. First of all, delighted to see what's taking place on this campus. There's a cheerfulness, a conviction, students coming in record numbers. And that shows up next month we'll be graduating our largest December commencement group ever. 275 students graduating in December. Uh, that, that's amazing. I mean, that's a, an amazing number of students graduating. So we rejoice in the students we get to invest in and we rejoice as they go. We're sad when they go, but we encourage because we know what God will be using them. We now have students, Kyle, from all 50 states and 63 countries. Wow. We're a global institution and we rejoice in that. How can you pray for us? I think the word that I always go back to is the word faithfulness. Help us to be faithful theologically, doctrinally. Help us be faithful to our mission. Help us to be spiritually faithful, to honor Christ in all things great and small. Help us to be faithful so we look back, hopefully, if God extends our years at the ripe old age, you know, 30 years from now, and we see that God did a special work here in His church, His church is, we're the real beneficiaries of it. Mm. That's fantastic. Well, the book is Turnaround, The Remarkable Story of an Institutional Transformation and the 10 Essential Principles and Practices that Made It Happen by Dr. Jason Allen, available from B&H Books, which means it's available everywhere. Barnes & Noble, Mardell, Lifeway, uh, your local bookstore, um, it, it's available. And so you want to check that out. Um, Dr. Allen, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, with me, Matt's off doing something else, but uh, I know he's sorry that he missed it, but uh, it was a joy to have you on. Thank you for listening. And until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. What's wrong with you people?